As we continue 2 Peter today, we're going to start in chapter 2, verse 13. Now remember with me, we left off with these people who lead by sensuality and rebellion. We saw that they're creatures of instinct. That's their source of their, their confidence, their the source of their aggressiveness is their, their incredible human instincts. But now notice their end. He said, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. All right, so you, they reap. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. Wow. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. So there is... Nothing hidden in their sin. You know, they, they're proud of their lifestyle, okay? They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast on you. Now notice, reveling, partying, enjoying their deceptions. The deceptions that they bring upon other people, they, they revel in it while they feast on you. <laughs> Notice, while they feast on you, while they feast on you. You know, sometimes Christians, and he's writing to believers, Jewish believers, yes, but believers. Sometimes believers, it is amazing how we get feasted on by these people. They feast on us. To us, to them, we are but a buffet. We're a buffet to feast upon. And in our naivete, and in our trust, and in our love, and in our graciousness, they get away with it. Mm. Now notice how these people continue. These are their, again, characteristics. Eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin, they entice unsteady souls, hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Now, wow, eyes full of adultery. These people... Man, they're always checking out the girls. They're always checking out. If it's a girl, they're always checking out the boys. I mean, you know, man, th these are the guys that undress women with their eyeballs. Okay. These are the girls that are staring at boys' butts. Okay. They have eyes full of adultery. Insatiable for sin. They can't get enough of it. I mean, just, you know, think about that for a minute. These aren't people that are in any way ashamed. Okay. These are people that are very public with it. They're insatiable for sin. Now notice, they entice unsteady souls. Christians whose spiritual lives are, are, are teeter-tottering. You know, they're just, they're, they're not stable. They entice. Now notice, they entice them. Come on, come with me. Now let's have some fun. Your, your church doesn't have any fun. You people have no fun. You're not free. Come with us and find freedom. And, and what they're really talking about is sin. Okay, so they entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed. Now, just wrap your brain around this. There are these people, they're not just greedy by character. They're greedy by training. In other words, their greed has been trained. Just like we develop a skill of generosity, we develop a, a skill of, of love, we want to grow the fruit of the Spirit, think of all those things, uh, they want to develop the skill of greed. Wow, accursed children, 
forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam. Now that is, the way of Balaam is, is ministry for money. Oops. The way of Balaam is ministry for money. Remember, Balaam sold out the people of Israel. I mean, he kept, he, God would not let him curse them. So he taught these guys how to bring, how to stumble them. Who loved gain for wrongdoing. That, that is ministry for money. But was rebuked. For, now, the one thing you got to understand, the ministry for money is not real ministry. So don't, don't, don't misunderstand me. He could not prophesy. He could not, he could not curse all he could do is say, I know that if they do this, they'll lose their walk with God. And so he used his knowledge of the things of God to bring these people down. So the, the, the way of Balaam, you'll, you'll see these guys not actually using ministry to make money, but using what their knowledge is to make money. He was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. I notice Balaam was a prophet. But he used his knowledge of God. And he couldn't use spiritual things, but he used his knowledge, okay? He used his knowledge. He used his knowledge of the things of God. These are waterless springs misdriven by the storm. Waterless springs. In other words, you go there to look for water and there's nothing there. Miss driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice. All right, now notice we talked about entice earlier. So tie these words together. They entice by sensual passions of the flesh. Who? Those who are barely escaping from those who live in air. All right, so new believers. So the two types of people that they go after are unsteady souls and new believers, all right? These are the two, two targets. They're two targets. They promise freedom. But they themselves are slaves to corruption. Now, whenever people tell you, oh, come with us, we have freedom. Freedom for what? Freedom for what? Freedom for short shorts? Freedom for clubs? Freedom for drinking? Freedom for drugs? Freedom for sex? Freedom for what? Remember, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh. But there's a promise of freedom there. Listen, you can do all of that. But they themselves are slaves to corruption. Mm. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. In other words, they're overcome by, think about all this pleasure, their deceptions, eyes full of adultery, uh, insatiable for sin. Uh, they're, they're actually enslaved. They promise freedom. They promise freedom to sin. Okay, They use sensual passions to entice you, but they're actually slaves. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, 
the last state is worse than the first. All right, these are backsliders. Backsliders who use influence on you. All right, so these backsliders who use their influence on you to entice you to join them, uh, their last state is worse than their first. For it would have been better for them to have never known, to have never to have known the way of righteousness, than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment given to delivered to them. Okay, I know that our Baptist brothers don't believe that a person, you know, can ever lose their salvation. I don't think you lose it. It's not like you know you misplace your cell phone. All right, it's, it's a lot harder than a lot of Protestants like to think, because God's love just keeps reaching out for you. But th there are people who turn back. What the true proverb says has happened to them. A dog returns to his own vomit, and the sow, the pig, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Okay? I'm a dog person. One of the grossest things you ever see is a dog vomiting and then going back and eating their vomit. It's just, oh, and then they want to come lick you. Oh, okay. These people, when they turn back, this is what they do. They go back to old life. And it's kind of gross. This is now the second letter I'm writing to you, chapter 3, verse 1. Beloved, in both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. All right, so reminders, how to stir a mind. Okay, you stir a mind by reminders. You stir up a mind, you get a mind thinking by reminders. That you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and our Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires, not leaders. <laughs> in the last days, there will be, and, and this is another way to say mockers, okay? Mockers will come and mockers will mock. But a mocker only follows their own sinful desires, whether that's desire for money or whatever, sex or whatever, drugs, booze, whatever. They don't follow leaders. They don't follow pastors. They follow their own desires, their own sinful desires. They will say, who's they? The scoffers. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For since... Ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. They deliberately overlook. Now, here's a big deal. There are some things people choose. They choose not to see. They overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world then existed and was deluged with water and perished. By the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. 
He says that for the choose not to exceed to see judgment did happen once. Once by fire by water and next by fire. What happened the second time by water because God put the rainbow in the sky? So these people who these these people who mock the idea of the second coming, they, they mock the idea of the rapture. <laughs> they deliberately overlook a fact. They say, Oh, everybody says Jesus is coming. He's never come. They deliberately over the fact God has brought judgment to this world once, and God will bring it again. All right. Let's open up our hearts and spend some time in worship. And then Sister Bev is almost done with Ezekiel. I think one more day after today.
Welcome back to our drama prophet, Ezekiel. We are coming into the last chapters of Ezekiel because there are 48 chapters in this book. Chapters 40 through 48 have left his usual dramatization and acting everything out and all of his um, allegories and all of those stories he was telling to the people. He was really a dramatic prophet, wasn't he? Someone with some great literary talent, someone with some acting skills, but he got the attention of the people whom God was calling the rebellious house. Well, in chapters 40 through 48, we are talking about millennial times, the millennial temple, the uh, ordinances for the priests, those things that People needed to do during that time in order to worship God. And one of the things that you realize when you're reading these Old Testament prophets is that nothing ever really changes. So from reading the ancient times, you realize people are people are people are people. They they have the same tendencies. We all have the same, oh, this gets to us, the lust of the eyes, we're we're going astray because of this entering our heart. We see the same things. We see corruption on various levels. We see leaders taking advantage of people. We see weights and measures being corrupted. And God is considering that as robbery, absolute robbery, which of course it is. And you know that's true. If you've ever built something and then <laughs> only to find out that the contractor used substandard materials in some part and now this is flooding or that is washing away, you know that those things happen. What happened then happens now. And the thing is, now we're reading about millennial times and Ezekiel is not only writing about the millennial times, but once in a while, he'll just slip back to, hey, people, so live for God already. This is the future, so live for God. Well, in these chapters we're going to read today, chapter 45 and 46, we are reading about David's dynasty. So when we talk about the prince, that's who we're talking about. And we're talking about more of these very, very specific regulations for the property where this new temple will be and for how the priests will take care of it, and how people will worship. And, you know, some of you, especially from the ushering ministry, if you think you have a lot of rules and regulations that you must keep this and you must do this procedure, God is very particular about those things. So these are the kind of things that we will read about in chapter 45 and 46. When you allot the land as an inheritance, you shall set apart for the Lord a portion of the land as a holy district. 
This is where the temple is going to be built. 25,000 cubits long and 20 cubits broad. And also this is where the priests will be staying who are going to be ministering. It shall be holy throughout its whole extent. Of this, a square plot of 500 by 500 cubits shall be for the sanctuary, with 50 cubits for an open space around it. And from this measured district, you shall measure off a section 25,000 cubits long and 10,000 broad, in which shall be the sanctuary for the most holy place. It shall be the holy portion of the land. It shall be for the priests who minister in the sanctuary and approach the Lord to minister to him. And it shall be a place for their houses and a holy place for the sanctuary. Another section, 25,000 cubits long and 10,000 cubits broad, shall be for the Levites who minister at the temple as their possession for cities to live in. Remember, are Levites priests? Not necessarily. Are priests Levites? Yes, <laughs> because they're all descendants of Aaron from the tribe of Levi. And the descendants of Aaron specifically are the priests. But from the tribe of Levi, of course, those are the Levites who would take care of things in the house of the Lord. Alongside the portion set apart as the holy district, you shall assign for the property of the city an area of 5,000 cubits broad and 25,000 cubits long. It shall belong to the whole house of Israel. And to the prince shall belong the land on both sides of the holy district and the property of the city alongside the holy district and the property of the city on the west and on the east, corresponding in length to one of the tribal portions and extending from the western to the eastern boundary of the land. It is to be his property in Israel. Very specific, right? That the government, the dynasty that is ruling over them, this shall only be their property. Exactly this. So that the princes, the government, the leaders will not take anymore the property of the people as their own. It says that belongs to the whole house of Israel. And there is a specific area. This land, and it's, it's quite extensive, it's spacious, but this belongs to the prince and no more. And my princes shall no more oppress my people, but they shall let the house of Israel have the land according to their tribes. So this is God's plan from ancient times. Everybody has his own inheritance. Thus says the Lord God, enough, O princes of Israel, put away violence and oppression and execute justice and righteousness. Cease your evictions of my people, declares the Lord God. Wow, corruption. You shall have just balances, a just ephah and a just bath. See, this is what we're saying. There has to be justice and there cannot be false weights and measures and ripping people off when you're doing business deals substituting substandard materials when you charge them for the actual top standard of, of whatever they are supposed to receive. You've got to do things right in the eyes of God. And if you think that God is not seeing, then you're deceiving yourself because he sees, he knows, and it's not pleasing in his eyes when people do things like that. 
The ephah and the bath shall be of the same measure, the bath containing one-tenth of a homer and the ephah one-tenth of a homer. The homer shall be the standard measure. The shekel shall be 20 geras. 20 shekels plus 25 shekels plus 15 shekels shall be your mina. Whoa, specific, very specific plan laid out. But isn't that great? When God lays out plans for our lives that are very, very specific, and we just have to follow him. This is the offering that you shall make. One-sixth of an ephah of, from each homer of wheat, and one-sixth of an ephah from each homer of barley. And as the fixed portion of oil measured in baths, one-tenth of a bath from each core. The core, like the homer, contains ten baths. And one sheep from every flock of two hundred. From the watering places of Israel for grain offering, burnt offerings, and peace offerings to make atonements for them, declares the Lord God. All the people of the land shall be obliged to give this offering to the prince in Israel. It shall be the prince's duty to furnish the burnt offerings, grain offerings, and drink offerings at the feasts, the new moons, and the Sabbaths. All the appointed feasts of the house of Israel, he shall provide the sin offerings, grain offerings, burnt offerings, and peace offerings to make atonement on behalf of the house of Israel. So this is actually, it's calling it an offering. It is made to the government, this, this, uh, the dynasty of David, the rulers over the people. But though there is this obligatory giving of certain things, then the government has responsibility to provide all the burnt offerings, all the. So in other words, from the revenue, there are obligations. This is not just for the personal wealth of the prince and his family. This is specific obligations for specific revenue, which is very interesting. Thus says the Lord God, in the first month, on the first day of the month, you shall take a bull from the herd without blemish and purify the sanctuary. The priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering and put it on the doorposts of the temple, the four corners of the ledge of the altar and the posts of the gate of the inner court. You shall do the same on the seventh day of the month for anyone who has sinned through error or ignorance. See, if you're ignorant, it's still a sin because you're supposed to know the word of God. <laughs> you shall make atonement for the temple. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month, you shall celebrate the feast of the Passover, and for seven days unleavened bread shall be eaten. On that day the prince shall provide for himself and all the people of the land a young bull for a sin offering. Where does he get all this, these bulls? From the obligatory, the giving that the people will give to the prince this is his obligation. It's God's way of making sure that all the offerings will be done, will be taken care of, and no, no excuse. The prince has to provide. The government then has to provide. And on the seventh day of the festival, he shall provide a burnt offering to the Lord, seven young bulls and seven rams without blemish on each of the seven days, and a male goat daily for a sin offering. And he shall provide as a grain offering an ephah for each bull, an ephah for each ram, and a hin of oil to each ephah. 
in the seventh month, on the fifteenth day of the month, and for the seven days of the feast, he shall make the same provision for sin offerings, burnt offerings, and grain offerings, and for the oil. Chapter 46. Thus says the Lord God, the gate of the inner court that faces east shall be shut on the six working days. But on the Sabbath day it shall be opened, and on the day of the new moon it shall be opened. So, one day a week, it's really different. We can see that. We can see it from, have a fly flying around. We can see this, how important it is that one day a week, it's really different. It's really set apart to God as holy. And it's it, everything about it is different on that one day. You can even see it was structurally enforced that Six days, these are the working days. Oh, and by the way, working days are six days a week. We can see that here, and we can see it from creation, and this is now going to be millennial times. Working days, six days a week. But on the Sabbath day, there's a different gate open. It's different activities, different expectations of the people. And on feast days, the new moon, it shall be open. The prince shall enter by the vestibule of the gate from the outside and shall take his stand by the post of the gate. The priest shall offer his burnt offering and his peace offerings, and he shall worship at the threshold of the gate. Then he shall go out, but the gate shall not be shut until evening. The people of the land shall bow down at the entrance of the gate before the Lord on the Sabbaths and on the new moons, so on the feast days. The burnt offering that the prince offers to the Lord on the Sabbath day shall be six lambs without blemish and a ram without blemish. And the grain offering with the ram shall be an ephah, and the grain offering with the lamb shall be as much as he is able. Oh, I like that. So all these very specific instructions. This is this offering. This is what you are to do. Oh, but this one? as much as he is able. I like that. And I want to be able to give to the Lord as much as I am able, above and beyond those required offerings. Together with a hin of oil to each ephah. On the day of the new moon, he shall offer a bull from the herd without blemish, and six lambs and a ram, which shall be without blemish. As a grain offering, he shall provide an ephah. With the bull and an ephah with the ram, and with the lambs as much as he is able, together with a hin of oil to each ephah. When the prince enters, he shall enter by the vestibule of the gate, and he shall go out by the same way. When the people of the land come before the Lord at the appointed feasts, he who enters by the north gate to worship shall go out by the south gate, and he who enters by the south gate shall go out by the north gate. No one shall return by way of the gate by which he entered, but each shall go out straight ahead. And of course, there are reasons for all of that, but it strikes me as kind of funny because what if you came to church and you parked your car in a certain place, so you entered by that entrance, but you had to exit from a different opposite entrance and then walk all the way around to go get your car. So it kind of strikes me as funny, but of course, there are reasons for treating the sanctuary and treating the place of God as very, very holy. 
So that's why there are all these instructions. When they enter, the prince shall enter with them. When they go out, he shall go out. At the feasts and the appointed festivals, the grain offering with a young bull shall be an ephah, and with a ram, an ephah. And with the lambs, as much as one is able to give, together with a hin of oil, to an ephah. When the prince provides a free will offering, either a burnt offering or peace offering as a free will offering to the Lord, the gate facing east shall be opened for him, and he shall offer his burnt offering on his, or his peace offering as he does on the Sabbath day. Then he shall go out, and after he has gone out, the gate shall be shut. You shall provide a lamb a year old without blemish for a burnt offering to the Lord daily. Morning by morning you shall provide it. There's still in the millennial times, morning by morning, daily that we give to the Lord that is offered to him. And you shall provide a grain offering with it morning by morning. This says something about our daily seed. This says something even now about setting aside for the Lord a certain amount. And maybe we just get to bring it on this on the time that we go to worship him in his house. But every day, morning by morning, Lord, this is yours, and I give it unto you. A hint of oil to moisten the flour as a grain offering to the Lord. This is a perpetual statute. Thus the lamb and the meal offering and the oil shall be provided morning by morning for a regular burnt offering. Thus says the Lord God, if the prince makes a gift to any of his sons as his inheritance, it shall belong to his sons. It is their property by inheritance. But if he makes a gift of his inheritance to one of his servants, it shall be his to the year of liberty." You know, they had their every 50 years, they had their year of jubilee, where all property returned to its tribe or its clan. Then it shall revert to the prince. Surely it is his inheritance. It shall belong to his sons. The prince shall not take any of the inheritance of the people, thrusting them out of their property. He shall give his sons their inheritance out of his own property, so that none of his people shall be scattered from his property. God always had this system of capitalizing his people. This is true from the very, very ancient times, and we see this in Leviticus. We see this very, very much laid out, that each new generation is capitalized afresh, because every time there's a year of jubilee, all debts were canceled and all uh, properties returned to its own tribe. If that tribe was supposed to inherit it, then it belonged to that tribe. And this is what God is saying. And also that the government, the prince, of course, here the dynasty of David, the government of the people cannot just take from the people to give it to their own family. If they want an inheritance for their own family, it needs to come from their own inheritance, from their own wealth. And so leaders don't consume the people. And there is some kind of equality in the eyes of God between all people, whether leader or regular person, all people. You have the right to what you are given to, given by God. Then he brought me through the entrance, which was at the side of the gate, to the north row of the holy chambers for the priests 
and behold, a place was there at the extreme western end of them. Then he said to me, This is the place where the priest shall boil the guilt offering and the sin offering, and where they shall bake the grain offering, in order not to bring them out into the outer court, and so transmit holiness to the people. Then he brought me out to the outer court and led me around to the four corners of the court. And behold, in each corner of the court, there was another court. In the four corners of the court were small courts, 40 cubits long and 30 broad. The four were of the same size. On the inside, around each of the four courts was a row of masonry with hearths made at the bottom of the rows all around. Then he said to me, these are the kitchens where those who minister at the temple shall boil the sacrifices of the people. Wow, we have some very specific instructions here in chapter 45 and 46. We have some very good life lessons, don't we? Because people are people and we all have the same tendencies. And God is saying, you live holy, you treat people well, you treat your fellow man just like you would treat me. And just like you would treat yourself, you are an equal opportunity lover of people. <laughs> and you don't consume other people's uh, rightful inheritance for your own wealth. You don't grab from other people and add it to yourself. But you appreciate what God has given them is theirs. You don't cheat them by substandard materials or... Uh, different weights and measures. Of course, it's very specific, very specific uh, measuring and all of these things, the feast days, the working days. But we learn that God has this one day a week, which is different and holy. And we are to set aside one day a week to worship God, to rest, to be in his presence. Amen. So it's really awesome to read these ancient prophecies because they still apply to us today. We learn how to live for God and how God thinks about things. That is our Ezekiel reading for today. We're coming actually tomorrow. It's going to be our last reading from the book of Ezekiel. Today was chapter 45 and 46. Tomorrow is 47 and 48. Wow, can you believe it? It's already at the end of this wonderful, dramatic prophecy. And that is also our morning devotions for today. Thank you so much for joining us. God bless you. See you tonight in our COP online evening service.